I hope my voice uh, will hold up today as we uh, share the Word of God together. Please forgive me if I cough in between. Someone has left a nice glass of water up here, so I thank you for that. And um, we'll look forward to sharing the Word of God together. The times that I've been coming up here over the last uh, few months, we're looking at God's attributes. And each time that we've come together, because I only share... Um, irregularly, I thought I'd like to keep reiterating why we need to know God better. It's one thing to to come up and preach and to talk about God's attributes, but why do we need to know God better? What's the reason behind it? See, sometimes we think we know him, and we might not know about him. You might have even heard about God But do you know him intimately? Now there are certain things that are undiscoverable about God, I understand that. But the things that we are to discover are in his word. He has revealed himself to us. In fact, without the word of God, we wouldn't have a clue about God. The only way that we know about God is because he revealed himself in the scriptures. So why should we know God? I just want to read a quote from A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says and writes, The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted it for one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshipping men. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God. And we do that when we move away from the Word of God and we start thinking that we know who God is by what's happening in our lives or what other people say or what even we may think in our own hearts. Oh, God can't be like that. I don't like that attribute, so I'll make this one up and that'll suit me fine. We must know God, we must know Him intimately through the Scriptures because knowing Him brings conviction that he is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he will do. And we need conviction about that. The reality is the only way we truly know God as he's revealed in the scriptures, and the only reason we need to know him is because we need to move through life with an assurance that the power comes from above. And so this morning, I'm going to add to God's sovereignty that we looked at first, that he is the ruler of all things. We're going to go past his omnipotence, which we looked at, his omnipresence, his omniscience. We've looked at his transcendence, the fact that he is so far above us, yet in the same sermon we looked at his imminence, the fact that he is with us and close to us. And I put those two together because they were such an oxymoron. But I hope through the scriptures I have shown that God is certainly way above us. He transcends us. His ways are higher than our ways. But in the same breath I can say through the scriptures he is with us. He is close to us. He cares for us. We looked at his immutability. The fact that he is the same God who created the world as he is now. And as he will be when the Lord returns. He never changes. 
the scriptures say, is not a man that he should change his mind. And today we're going to look at, and putting two together again, we're going to look at our God who is true and faithful. One of the reasons I'm putting them together, besides the fact they fit so well together, is in Revelation 19, verse 11. I'll just read this to you. This is at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. So I thought if the scriptures can put it together, if that who the Lord Jesus Christ is called Faithful and True, then we need to have a look at that. And so we're going to look at being God is truth, God is faithful. Another reason I chose the attribute of God is truth is because in our culture, in our climate today, people don't even know what truth is anymore. See, at one point in the history of the world, truth was very important. It used to be that people who searched the truth were called lovers of wisdom, philosophers. That word philosopher simply means love, filio, love and sophos, wisdom. But today, if you meet a philosopher, they're questioning the truth. In our culture, we question whether the truth even exists or not. Some say, if there's such a thing as truth... Is there anything we call absolute truth? Others want to know if indeed truth exists, is it knowable? Can I know what truth is? Can anyone know truth with any kind of certainty? Is truth even important today? Or is it just how I feel about it? Or how I want to see what truth is? What's truth for me is is not truth for you maybe. That's the, the saying these days. What's truth for me may not be truth for you, but it's still truth for me. But I want to tell you, there is only one truth. By definition, truth can only be one way. Everything else is false. And so we've become people, not just in the church, but I include the church, we've become people who live according to our feelings rather than what our minds might say through through the scripture. And we base our decisions morally and otherwise on what, on what we feel is the right thing to do. Our feelings have become more important than our ability to think and to reason and in our case to look at the scriptures. It's easier to base truth on how I'm feeling. Alistair Begg writes this, he says, This is an age in which plausibility is given to every idea and certainty to none. And so this morning I hope to bring an oasis of truth in what I would deem this world to be a deception. I'd like to show you through the scripture that there is only one truth. And we're going to find an anchor of truth that's found in these scriptures. Now I've handed out some sheets and Bill tells me that uh, there wasn't enough. So if you've got two or one close to you that you can share, would you pass it on to someone who doesn't have a sheet? Just put your hand up and we'll... So if anyone's got two, there's... 
And I've printed this sheet out because I'm no good at this thing. Sorry, I'm going to get some lessons one day. I'm going to ask Pastor to come round and share with me how to do it. I'm still a, a paper person. I still like to, to feel paper. On your sheets, you'll see that we're going to look at first that God is true. And I've broken that into two sections. He's first of all true in his person or his being. And then secondly, whatever God says is true. Just two different aspects of God is truth. So let's look at the first. God is true in his person, in his being. And we can simply hear about this and look at this by reciting a verse that hopefully everyone knows. I'm sure you learned it in Sunday school, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But maybe it's become such a, a glib verse that we learn it off by heart that we forget to notice that Jesus doesn't say he is the way to the truth. He doesn't say that he is the path to the truth. Jesus says that he is the way and he is the truth. It's in his being. So according to the scripture, truth is not a fact. Truth is not a piece of knowledge that you may have. Truth is anchored in a person. Truth is God. Now Pontius Pilate, uh, when Jesus stood before him, Pontius Pilate asked the question in John 18, what is truth? Now unfortunately Pilate didn't wait for an answer. But in light of John 14, 6, he was asking the wrong question. The right question isn't what is truth. The right question is who is truth? Because truth is found in a person. See, we have to understand this truth is outside of us. So often we think the truth is inside of us. But truth is outside of us. And it's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's in the person of God. Truth finds its origin in the character of God. I've put a simple definition on your sheets it simply comes from MacArthur's book, The Truth War. And I'll just read it with you. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory and being of God. That's what truth is. Anything outside of that is false. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory and being of God. Even more to the point, you could say this is the truth is the self-expression of God. And that's the biblical meaning of truth. Truth is what it is because God declared it and made it so. So we have to get away from the idea that truth is something that we make up or we decide is truth. Truth is simply God declaring something and making it so. Therefore, God is the author of truth, he's the source of truth, he determines truth, he governs truth, he arbitrates truth, he's the standard of truth, and he's the final judge of truth in all the earth. God is truth because he's the one by whom everything else is measured. You may know this, but near Paris, 
there's a standard of measurements are kept. They're kept in a temperature-controlled room. And there's a, a platinum indium cylinder. It's kept at constant, constant temperature, and it weighs a kilo. And that weight is the determined weight for the whole world of that kilogram. It's the standard by which every other metric weight is measured. Apparently, and I've never seen it, but there's also a bronze bar in there that measures in metres and imperial measurements, and it's there in this temperature-controlled room. And that's, they're, they're both the standard of what weight and what measurement is. And the purpose is, is to make sure there's no inconsistency in our measures and our weights. It would be pretty strange if we had a kilogram, but in each country it weighed something different. Actually, probably some of the people today maybe even weigh it differently. You put a kilo in and well, they do put their thumb on there as well. But that's, the measurement is in France. It's, it's a, a consistent weight. And that's where God is as far as we're concerned. He is the standard. He's the standard of what's accurate. He's the standard of what's reliable. If you want to know what the truth is, you don't go to a place in France, you go to the Bible. Because God is truth. But God is not only true in his being, he also speaks what is true. He cannot do anything else but speak what is true. I want you to understand that as we read the Bible, it does not merely contain nuggets of truth, like, say, the, <coughs> the, when we read uh, Proverbs, we get little nuggets of truth that we enjoy. And, and, but the Bible itself is pure, unchangeable, unbreakable truth that cannot be busted. Praying for his... Uh, Praying to his heavenly father on behalf of his disciples. This is what Jesus said in John 17. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. See, as the Lord's disciples, we are set apart from the rest of the world by the truth of the word of God. God's word, what God says, what God guides and has guided the author of scriptures to write is truth. So everything you read in the scriptures is truth. It cannot be anything else. God's, God makes promises in his word. He gives direction. He diagnoses problems. And since God's word is truth, that means that God's word can be depended upon. You can depend on this word. You can hold it in your hands and know it's truth and you can depend on it wholly. What, when God says something, you can be sure it's going to happen. What I read before in Revelation, you can be absolutely positive that the Lord is going to return because God says so and God is truth. What God promises, he will deliver. What God threatens, he will bring to pass. So that God's word can be depended upon. And since God's word is truth, it is accurate. 
It leads us in the right directions. We can read God's word and know which direction to go in. The advice and counsel which is given in the Bible is true. This is not a theory. This is not the conclusion of a team of men and women that got together this, our scriptures. It's not the best guess that someone has made. God's way is straight. God's way is right. And so what God says in his word about being honest is the truth about honesty. What God's word says about having a good relationship is how we should have a relationship because this is truth. When I do marriage counselling, when pastor does marriage counselling, we don't, we, we don't go anywhere else but the scriptures because God's told us about marriage and it's true. God tells us about how to be a financial steward. It's written there for us. It is true. And so how should you be a financial steward? You read the scriptures. In fact, the Lord talks more about finances than anything else. What God says about salvation is true. You want to know how to be saved? You read the scriptures. We don't make up our own that seems right that has a feeling that it's right, read the scriptures. What God says about our priorities is the truth about priorities. Pastor's already gone way past, or he's finished Romans. Romans 12. What's the priority? Give yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's the priority, and it's true. Give your priority to anything else and it's false. Now during the time of the Reformation, the Reformers used to affirm this truth with the word sola scriptura. You may have heard that. <coughs> sola scriptura simply means a shorthand that the Bible alone is our rule. The Bible alone is our guide. Everything is to be weighed and measured by the scriptures. So back in the, the 5th and 6th century in the Reformation. And at the time, this was a, quite a conf, controversial situation for someone to say sola scriptura. Yes, the, the Catholic Church at the time had stated the scripture was true. But they also said our church traditions are true. The Pope is truth. The reformers responded by saying the traditions come from men. The Pope is a man. Both are fallible. The only true standard of the word of God is the word of God. Now Martin Luther was put on trial as a heretic because he said that sola scriptura. Don't listen to the Pope. Don't listen to the, to the traditions of the church. Just read the scriptures. And he was put on trial and he was commanded to, to renounce his teachings. And this is what Luther replied. He said, unless you show me from the scriptures themselves that I am wrong, I will not recant. I cannot recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. Now this isn't just an historical principle for back in the 5th century. The attitudes... That attitudes need to be reapplied today. You know, the, today, 
so many of us will nod our head at the idea of Scripture alone. We'll do that. We say, yes, Scripture is the truth. But then we'll start to rely on other authorities, things like the teaching of a particular church, and we start listening to that instead of going to the Word. Or, or we listen to the vision or claimed insight of a particular leader. And so we listen to them and we don't go to the Word. A particular author might write something and all of a sudden it becomes truth. The worst one is a personal experience or someone's preference to be truth. That's very, very dangerous that someone's personal preference or experience becomes truth. It needs to go to the word of God. God is truth, not someone's experience. God's truth is outside of us. There is only one who is true, and that's God. There's only one testimony of God's direction, and that's the Bible. There's nothing to be added to it. And so everything else that you hear, everything else that comes from anyone else, whether it be man or, or some kind of particular church teaching, everything else must be carefully measured by the standard of God's word. We must consider this to be the standard. Not what someone says or what someone thinks. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We are to be sanctified by truth, but the word is the truth. I'll go as far as to say that truth cannot be adequately explained. Truth cannot be recognized or understood or defined without God as the source of that truth. Since God alone is eternal, God alone is self-existent, he alone is the creator of all things, he is the foundation of all truth. And we have been blessed immensely to have that truth in a language that we can read. And yet, we listen to other things, to other areas. You know, how you respond to the truth of God as revealed in the scriptures is an issue of eternal significance to you. How you respond to what God says has eternal ramifications. If you reject and rebel against the truth of God, it will result in darkness, in sin, in judgment, ending up in a never-ending wrath of God. The scriptures tell me that. But if you accept and submit to the truth of God as it's revealed in the scriptures, we will see clearly. We will know with certainty. We will find life everlasting with him. We will know the future. We will know what is to come. We just have to read the scriptures. God is truth. Everything outside of God is false. Whatever you hear, you need to come back to the word of God. There is only one truth. As I said, by definition, truth can, is narrow. That's why the Lord says we are on the narrow path. The, the other path is wide and plenty of people are on it. Truth is narrow. So if someone calls you narrow-minded, say, praise God, I am narrow. 
I am narrow to the truth of God which is revealed in the scriptures. There is no other truth. Let's move on to God's faithfulness. Because when the Lord comes back, oops, over here with me. When the Lord comes back on his clothing will be true and faithful. It's on the other side of your sheet. Hebrews 10.23, I'll start off with that. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now when we say someone is faithful in marriage, what do we mean by that? When you look at, at someone's marriage and you see that they're a faithful couple, what are you, what are you saying? Well, normally we're saying or intimating that they keep, they've kept their promise. They've given themselves fully to the marriage. They're working hard. They're keeping their word. What about friends? A faithful friend. One you can count on. When they know that you have need, they'll be there. When you make a promise, when they make a promise, they'll keep it. When they, you need understanding, they'll try to give it to you. This is what a faithful friend should be. But we're not very faithful at times, are we, in all those things? We try to be a faithful friend, but we, we let people down. Here's a simple definition of faithfulness, of God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness means that everything he says and does is certain. It's a simple definition. Everything he says, everything he does is certain. 100% reliable. 100% of the time he does not fail like we do. He does not forget, which we all do. He doesn't falter. He doesn't change. He will not disappoint. He says what he means and he means what he says and therefore he does everything he says he'll do. He is faithful to do that. In fact, to say God is faithful goes to the very core of who he really is. If God doesn't keep his word, he's not God. If God does not keep his word, he is not God. And so on your sheets, I want to show you that God's faithfulness is practical to our lives. And I've got four points listed on your sheets. And I've tried to make it practical, God's faithfulness, because to go over everything I've just said about his truthfulness, they're so close together that I'd just be repeating a lot of stuff. But I thought we'd look at the idea of God's faithfulness and how that impacts our lives. And the first one is God is faithful when you're in difficult circumstances. If you'd like to turn with me, turn to Lamentations chapter 3. <coughs> Lamentations is, you go Isaiah, Jeremiah... Lamentations, if you've gone to Ezekiel, Daniel, then you've gone too far. So Lamentations, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Let's have a look at Lamentations. Remembering this is the idea of God is faithful when you're struggling. This is a great passage of scripture. The book of Lamentations, just to fill you in, was Jeremiah's lament over the destruction of Jerusalem. Jeremiah wrote the book after he walked through the, the, the rubble of the city. The walls were destroyed, the temple was burnt down, the Babylonians 
had ransacked the city. They'd killed many, many people. You can imagine how Jeremiah was feeling. And yet in the midst of the heartache, as he walked through the city of destruction, he spoke of God's faithfulness. Lamentations 3 verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Knowing that this is after, this is a, a Jeremiah's lamentation about the destroyed city, to come up and say, great is your faithfulness. In the midst of a destruction, Jeremiah is affirming God's faithfulness. Why is he doing that? For what reason? Well, first of all, because God said, because God did what he said he would do. He's true to his word. Jeremiah had told the people of Jerusalem, in fact, 52 books of the book of Jeremiah, he was telling the judgments around the corner. Do something about it. And now it had come. This act of judgment showed that God meant what he said and he did what he, he meant. And Jeremiah said, great is your faithfulness, God. Even faithful to what he has said. Jeremiah could talk about God's faithfulness also because he recognised that the Lord had promised to keep a remnant. And so Jeremiah knew that the only reason there were any survivors at all was because the Lord had promised to preserve the Jewish nation. They all deserved to be destroyed by, because of their rebellion against God. They all deserved that, but they weren't all destroyed. God kept some. So that the nation could continue. And the remnant wasn't made up of people who deserved to be saved. They were people who were saved because of God's promise. And for no other reason at all. And so when we're going through the tough times. We need to remember the insights of Jeremiah. Even in the, the rubble of difficult times. God remains faithful. He doesn't forget his promises. His commitment to every child of God remains undiminished. That's why it was good to put immutability last time we spoke together. He never changes. He doesn't forget his promises. I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says. He is faithful. Even though at times... I do say in my own life the circumstances of my life make me wonder. Our humanity makes us wonder. Lord, are you really there? Are you close? Then I can go to the scriptures and I can see that God is faithful. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He didn't forsake Jeremiah. The second practical truth of God's faithfulness is God is faithful when you feel like you're drifting away. When you feel like you're moving away from where God wants you to be. 
Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation on this one. To read from the others, the sentence starts about five verses before this. Paul, uh, in his wisdom, just kept putting commas in. So I'm just going to read from verse 8 in 1 Corinthians 1. The New Living Translation says, He will keep you strong to the end, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, that God will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when you feel like you're drifting away from God, you see here that God is faithful. He is faithful here and now, even if we're not faithful to him. Did you notice in verse 8 that remaining faithful to the day that the Lord returns is not dependent upon you and me? Did you notice that as you read verse 8? God will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Yes, we are to minister. The Lord wants us to minister, to use the giftedness that he has given us we're to develop our spiritual disciplines, but our continuing faith is not dependent upon us. It's guaranteed by a faithful God to the day that the Lord returns. Paul tells us in Philippians 1.6 the same things. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we may feel like we're drifting away, and maybe we are. But God is holding the rope. Our Lord will not let you get away. He may have to reel you in with a strong hand. And Hebrews tells us that we are chastised. And the Lord will do that to bring his people back to himself. But he will never let you go. All those that God has given the Lord Jesus Christ, no one can pluck them out of his hand. And his faithfulness is for us. You know, it's not, time, it's not, it's not that there aren't times when we deserve to be let go. I'm sure there are times when we deserve to be let go by God. I've had enough, I can't do any more. It's not like there aren't times when we make choices that offend God's character. On our own, there's not one of us who could, by our own strength, remain faithful. Not one of us can remain faithful in our own strength. But even when we are not faithful to God, God remains faithful to us. He's the one that will keep us till the day of Jesus Christ. You may feel like you've drifted. You may feel embarrassed to return to the Lord. But he hasn't deserted you. If you're a born-again believer, you cannot lose that salvation. God has not written you off. He continually 
mould you even though you resist. You can return to him. So God is faithful. He is faithful when you're drifting away. He will bring you back. There's a third practical truth of God's faithfulness. That God is faithful when you face temptation. Pastor's already mentioned this, or it might have been Bill, I can't remember now. 1 Corinthians 10.13, you may be still in Corinthians there. 1 Corinthians 10.13. I want to look at God's faithfulness because you will be tempted. You'll be tempted each and every day. Tempted to sin. And 1 Corinthians 10.13 shows God's faithfulness to us. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God is faithful. This is a great promise for us. God will not let you be tempted to sin beyond, beyond what you can bear. There will never be a situation where you cannot remain faithful. Never. There will never be a tempting situation that we have to give into it. You can never say, I had no choice when it comes to sin. There's always a way to remain faithful because God has said so. He will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. But then we do sin. It may be that you're engaged in behaviour that God calls wrong. And you may be excusing it by saying, I can't help it. You can blame nature, you can blame your circumstances, you can blame those around you. But the argument is the same in each of those cases you're claiming that you can't obey God because you have no choice. God's promise says there's always choice. Always. You may feel that the temptation is stronger than you are, but you can be faithful, no matter how overpowering the situation is, because God is faithful to give you a way to escape the temptation. But we don't take it. God will provide a way out. God is faithful to do that. We need to look for that way out and we need to escape. James says, flee from the devil. Sometimes you just need to flee. Who did that? Just fled. Left the coat. Joseph. God gave him a way to escape. He just fled. Maybe you need to do that. But God will always give you a way to escape temptation because he is faithful to do so. Then we have the last practical truth. God is faithful when you sin. 1 John 1 9, which we have heard this morning. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a precious promise. When we sin, God will forgive us if we come to him, admit our sin. And then he is faithful to forgive us. I want you to notice two things though. 
First, there's no limit on that promise. John doesn't say that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins up to a hundred. After that, you're on your own. John doesn't say he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins as long as it's not the same one. How often do we fall into the same trap over and over and over again? And I, if you're like me, I say, God, I've done it again. And because he's forgiven me, he says, you've done what? He is faithful to forgive that sin. There's no limit to this promise. If we have placed our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and we are born again in eternal life, his promise is that he'll always forgive us. He will always welcome us home. He'll always do it. But I want you to notice that there's a condition. There is a condition in this passage. It's an important condition. We must confess our sin. We must admit that we're wrong. And we must mean it when we come to God. God's promise of forgiveness is conditioned on our sincerity. You see, this promise is not a license to sin. The promise doesn't mean we can go do whatever we want because we know the Lord will forgive us. Fortunately, pastor's already been through Romans. Paul says so many times, May Ganoita, may it never be that you should sin so that God may abound in grace. That's not the promise. The promise is that as a repentant child of God, we will always be forgiven, we'll be always welcomed home, and our fellowship with God will be one. The child of God who is truly sorry will always be embraced. Our Lord turned to his followers. I'm just going to conclude with this. And he said in Mark 11:22, "Have faith in God." But Hudson Taylor used to always say that he believed this verse should be translated not so much "Have faith in God," but has, but as "Hold on to the faithfulness of God." And that became the, the motto of his life work. Hold on to the faithfulness of God. You see, when we say have faith in God, the emphasis seems to be on our work. Have faith in God. But the key then is how well are you following God? But when we talk about hanging on to the faithfulness of God, we're reminding ourselves that the key is not our strength, but his strength. Hold on to his faithfulness. And we've already read in the scriptures where he says that he will keep us until the day of the Lord. You see, our confidence is, is not in our ability. Our confidence is in the promises of God. That God will not change. That his word is sure. That everything you read here is truth. That's our confidence. It's not in ourselves and our ability to do anything. This is what the faithfulness of God means. So whatever you're going through, the goal is not to boost up your faith and to try better and to, as someone would say, pull your socks up and, and get on with it. The key is to read the scriptures and rest confidently in the promises of God who is true and faithful. 
That's how we boost ourselves up, by reading the Word of God. Great is thy faithfulness. God is truth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these two wonderful attributes that we know the Lord will have written on him when he returns. The one who is true and faithful. And Father, we're so thankful to know that the truth is narrow. It's narrow because you are truth. You don't tell us about truth, Lord, although your word certainly contains your truth, but you are truth. Everything is from you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we've seen four ways that your faithfulness encourages us through our daily lives. And we thank you that you'd never change, that you are way above us, that you are close to us, that you're all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, and Lord, that you are indeed our sovereign God. We thank you as we continue to look at you and to know you more intimately so that we may understand our God is an awesome God and not what we make him or we don't want to put you into a box, Lord. We want to see the truth as it is. Even though we don't understand it fully at all times, we know that it's truth. And we thank you for it. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen.